Yes, Lord, this is part of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And that's why we're here, Lord, to honor your prayer request that thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we want to see, Lord. That's what your believers want to see. We want to see your earth, your kingdom come to this earth that is heading for destruction very quickly. And Lord, we need your help. You said ask and you will, and we know that that's your heart's desire, that none would perish and all would come to repentance. So today, Lord, bring them in, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday, and not just Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Lord, for every one of us in this room. Give us opportunity to share our, share our testimony, to preach the gospel to them in a loving way that they're not offended, but yet they are offended in spirit because they need to be. They need to know that they are sinners and they fall short of your glory. And it's not by their works of their flesh that they're saved. It's by your Holy Spirit and by being born again into the kingdom of heaven, just like being born into this world, that their spirit come alive. There's anybody over the internet or anybody here today, Lord, that their spirit is not brought to life yet. Lord, I pray that they hear what you have to say through your word and they respond and they accept you and believe in you and receive Jesus as their Savior, that their spirit would come alive and they would be different people. They would be transformed, Lord, that they would be born again. Not to be offended by it. Born into the world makes sense. Born into the kingdom of heaven makes sense also. And Jesus told us so. Lord, today, open ears, open eyes, open hearts to understand what your Holy Spirit is is saying to them today. Father God, we bind back the enemy in the name of Jesus. Father, we have the authority to do so. He was defeated at the cross, which we're going to see here today in one of my points. Lord God, he was defeated in Jesus' name. Father God, I pray for those that are sick, those that maybe can't make it today because they're not feeling well. I want to lift up my wife Liz with this sore throat that's been going on for three weeks now. I want to lift her up to you, Lord. There's people in here that need a touch from you, Lord. Father God, probably all of us need a touch from you. Lord, some of us need a larger touch than others. And Father, there is nothing impossible for you if we believe. We can be like David. We can tell that giant to move out of the way. Father God, so we tell those giants that come against us right now in Jesus' name, move out of our way because we have a sling. And in that sling is the power-packed Word of God that takes you out takes the enemy out in Jesus' name. Lord, today, let your Holy Spirit fall on this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. God bless you, everybody. For those online, we're glad you just tuned in and and you're listening to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're you're there. Stay tuned. Get your Bibles out to John chapter 19, and we're going to be in the 30th verse. And uh, before we go on, I want to remind you, uh, those online, that you can, since you're on our website, freedomchurchpb.org, you can, you can uh, check out our list of uh, ministries. You can 
You can watch past services. Um, you can uh, even give online, should the Lord lead you. And I mentioned earlier here that, um, you know, that's how the churches go and preach the gospel. Jesus commanded us. He didn't say, if you feel like it. He commanded us to go and preach the gospel. And you know what? A lot of churches aren't able to do it unless the, the church is supported by the congregations, financially, spiritually, and physically. So um, do your part. If God calls you to go, go. If he calls you to give, give. If he calls you to pray, pray. Just do it. And we need that to go forth. As you well know, for those online and those here, this world is heading down fast. Very fast. It's like that freight train. It just isn't going to stop. And, you know, I just keep praying for more revival for some people in, the, in high places to wake up and be saved and turn to righteousness instead of uh, ungodliness. So f we're going to pray for, for that to happen. You've got to support your churches in order to do that. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I told a guy about... I'll bet you it's been five years or maybe even longer here, right here at this church. You know, he was talking to me about giving, and I said, you know what? His wife and him were on different levels. And I said, you know what? If you don't want to give what, what your wife wants to give, then just give what makes you happy, that you're happy to give. Otherwise, keep the rest in your pocket. You don't hear most preachers say that. I'm serious. I, we, we depend on God for, for our, our existence. But I'm telling you, if you can't be a cheerful giver, don't give. Don't give. You know what? But this guy I was telling you about, this was be five, six, maybe even seven years ago. He asked me that question right here, and he does not come to this church. Every month we get a check from him for the last five years. And he's in another state. And I'm just telling you, I'm told, I just told him the truth. You know what? It wouldn't benefit. It would be better if he would tithe. I mean, it's a war of money, but you give what your heart feels. And God loves that cheerful giver, just like that widow. You know, she gave what her heart felt, the two mites. And, that, you know, and God was satisfied with that, but she wanted to give it, and it was all that she had. But she gave cheerfully. So if you want to give one mite, give one mite. Just give cheerfully. So it's not just this church, but every church. So uh, while I'm on that subject, you know, you everybody here that knows that there's envelopes in the chair in front of you to uh, give. There's also uh, godly uh, gospel Johns behind there. I tell you, everybody, take it home and give it out. When you see that panhandler on the side of the road, when you get off I-95, give them a dollar and a tra and this this gospel. You know. You'd be surprised how many people might come against you for being a Christian, but when they're in their lonely place, they'll pick this up and they'll read it. And I know that because I've done it. And I've known that because people have told me. So just, just do it. This is, this is the power-packed Word of God. It takes down forces of strongholds. It casts down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the Word of God. So... So for those online, we're glad you're here. We're just a full gospel, Bible-preaching, little church, little family church where everybody here really knows everybody. We love everybody, and we pray for everybody. Um, you know, come and join us next Sunday, 10 a.m. Uh, yeah, next Sunday, or 
turn on the internet and watch us there. Um, also, we have a men's Bible study every Saturday at 9 a.m., a great group of guys, you know. We could have anywhere from, who knows, four to, to 12 guys, and we spend about an hour and a half in God's Word and, uh, and uh, fellowshipping with one another, which is really amazing for, for men. So I thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Worship's always beautiful. And um, it's so let our hearts be open to what the Lord has to say through His Word, because we preach out of, the, out of the Word of God. I also had the deacons passed out this little flyer, which I do quite often around here. You know, uh, this is our, our topic today. We might get through the whole thing. I'm doing a takeoff. Let me read that, that um, John chapter 19 and verse 30. This is just one verse. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. One verse, but there's a lot of power in that verse. There's a lot to say in that verse. We just came out of Easter week and, uh, you know, Good Friday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, you know, sad Saturday, if I can call it that, you know, but Sunday came. And, that, and you know, we are blessed. Jesus rose from the grave. So, so listen, when he received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. Well, it is finished. I want my, my topic here today on the sheets that you got is, what was finished? What was finished? And I've got you like 12 points. And there's a whole lot more than these 12 points. What was finished when Jesus gave up his, the ghost, the Holy Ghost. You know, gave up his spirit, I should say. So, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, one version says, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Well, what was finished? Number one was satisfaction of the whole wrath of God was satisfied at Jesus' death. He finished what he came to do right there at the cross. His job here on earth was done. Satisfaction of the whole wrath of God. Justice, and we even sang it in a song today, justice has been satisfied. The, the righteous justice against sin has been satisfied, and that's why Jesus gave up the ghost. The eternal purpose of the cross was fulfilled. It was finished. Man's salvation was finished, and it was paid in full. Your salvation was paid in full. You don't have to go to church every Sunday. You should. You don't have to give any money, but you should. You don't have to work in the church and be a Sunday school teacher or, or use the gift that God gave you, but you should because that's how the church goes. As you well know, the church, there's more people being born every day than more people being born again every day. And that means we're in a downward slide. Satisfaction was done at the cross. Man's kind sin was paid for, and they don't have to do anything of their own to be saved except receive Christ as their Savior. That's what it's all about. God's wrath on sin in Christ is 
perfectly satisfied. Perfectly. You know what? That could be, that, uh, those last words of Jesus could be put this way. It, has, it is perfectly perfect. What he did is perfectly perfect. He didn't fail at one point. Everyone God gave him, he lost not one. The Father has laid on him all the guilt, all the wrath that our sin deserves. Jesus took it all. And he satisfied. He satisfied God's wrath against sin. As horrible as Jesus' physical sufferings were, his spiritual suffering was what Jesus dreaded the most. You've got to remember, Jesus was always with his Father. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the water, and then God said, the Trinity, right there. He was always with the Father. This was the most horrible thing of all, I am convinced. That pain, sure, it was painful. And, you know, and he was a mess, as the Scriptures say. He was unrecognizable from all the beating that he took. As far as I'm concerned, he should have been dead long before he hit the cross, when he got to the cross. Even that lecturer that took the cat of nine tails and whipped his back, his job was to get a confession out of Jesus that he was not the king of the Jews, but he would not do it. Because if he did, he would have been lying and, and he couldn't pay the penalty for our sin. That cat of nine terror tore him up so bad he should have been dead. But you know what? This first answer is that he had to give up the ghost. He had to give it up because he was alive forever. He's eternal. But he spent that time on the cross away from his father for just a who knows how long, just a split second, was like, like devastating to him. And that's the way we should feel whenever we sin, basically. Feel so convicted of our sin that we repent immediately, that we confess and repent immediately, that will lead us to salvation. I didn't just make that up. That's 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. Perfect godliness leads to repentance unto salvation. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. Listen, Jesus so trembled at, at drinking this cup, says Luke in chapter 22. He says, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like, Drops, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And that is true. That is actually a physical condition today. It can actually happen. When Jesus was given the sour wine, you know, he gave up the ghost. Just prior to that, in Matthew 27, 34, and Mark 15, 23, they gave him a drink there too. And they gave him to drink wine mixed with myrrh, but, it, but he did not receive it. 
This is early in the crucifixion. He was given wine mixed with myrrh, but Jesus would not drink it. But he did drink the, the wine at the end here. Why didn't he drink it? Because myrrh is a narcotic that takes away your pain. But Jesus needed to take the full and the entire wrath of God. No narcotics. The full drop. Here's what Psalm 75 verse 8 says. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red and full, a full mixture, and he pours out the same, but the dregs thereof, all of the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. The wrath against sin was great. The wrath against sin was very great. He drank the whole cup, and even Isaiah backs it up with in verse chapter 51, verse 17. And then I'm going to read the 22nd verse after this. But here's the 17th verse of Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, stand up, Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord and the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken it, its dregs of the cup of the trembling, and wrung, and it wrung them out. God's telling us to awake about our sin. There's a cup of wrath against God's sin that's waiting for all of mankind. But let me show you what God did. It's written in Psalm 51. I just read 17. I'm going to read it again. Then I'm going to read the 22nd verse. Isaiah 51, 17. Awake, awake, O Jerusalem, stand up. You who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury, you have drunk the dregs, which means every drop, the cup of trembling, and drained it out. That means he licked every drop. Jesus was going to take every drop of the wrath of sin against man. Go to the 22nd verse. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause and his of his people. See, I have taken it out of your hand. You don't have to drink that cup of wrath from God from against your sin. Jesus took it out of your hand. Mankind is free. Let me read that again, and that's just part of the verse. We're going to get to the second part of that verse. See, I have taken the wrath of God, the cup of the wrath of God, out of your hand. That's what he's saying here. The dregs out of my cup of fury, you shall no longer drink of it. You do not have to drink of the penalty of your sin. Jesus took it out of the way right here at the cross. He said, it is finished. And what was finished? You're the satisfaction for the cup of God's fury. Every drop, every drop, every dreg of that drop is taken out of your hand. People out there, people here, you do not have to you do not have to pay for the penalty of your sins. Jesus has already taken it out of your hands if you believe. Don't think he takes it out of your hands if you just wander through life and never make a decision to follow him. It's going to cost you 
receiving him as your Savior. What's so bad about that? The King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, wants you? People call you a Jesus freak or a holy ruler. Man, the Son of God, the King of all kings, the creator of the universe has called you to be on his team. And you say, no, you've got to be kidding me. When I was a kid, I remember in elementary school at recess, we used to go outside, we used to play, uh, play baseball, but we had a rubber ball, and we would have teams picked. And we, you know, we'd have a pitcher, he pitched a rubber ball. If you hit it over the fence with your hand, you know, you got a home run or a double or whatever it was. But I remember the two best players would always get the one team and another team, and they would go, who was going to go first? Kind of like the football draft, you know. Who's going to go first? And they would play the Italian thing, you know, evens, odds, all that stuff. And then the, one, the winner of that would get to pick whatever person he wants on his team and they would always pick the best player and then the next team would pick but he picked the second best player kind of like the football draft you know you get the draft your your turn in line and you pick your best pick well god has picked you you he doesn't care if you're beautiful or ugly he doesn't care if you're overweight or skinny he doesn't care if you're black or white, he doesn't care if you're purple or green. He wants you. He don't care if you're good or bad. He wants you. Doesn't that make you feel good? Self-esteem, if you, if you have a self-esteem problem and you are a Christian, you should get over it very quickly. Because God the creator of the universe, and his son Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you. Whew. I got chills on me up here now just because God chose me. 45 years ago come July, he chose me. And I've been, you know what, this week, you know, all these things I did when I was a stupid teenager and early 20s, came up on me full this week, and I'm thinking like, oh man, what a horrible guy I was. And I'm telling you, I was horrible before I met Jesus. You guys don't know half of it. I'm thinking like, God forgave me of all that? And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, and I, I honor that I, I, I really feel blessed by this. He said, that's why you love him so much because so much I've been for, 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 forgiven. And I do love him. I'm not perfect, but I love Jesus with all my heart. I told the son of the men's group yesterday, when I was a teenager, when I was a, you know, um, a young boy, no, not a teenager, a young boy, maybe eight or ten, my parents used to take me to church, mostly on Easter or Christmas, and I would shoot the statues, pretend to shoot the statues. But when I came to Jesus... On that cross, I could not shoot. I would not shoot. Actually, I was expecting him to turn his head. Because those crosses in some of these churches are very realistic. And I like realism in painting as a sign painter in my former past. You know, I love realism. And I love those artists that are paint real like Karl Bach and, and uh, you know, the, the other guys. Which I keep forgetting their names. 
you know. Um, but I love the realistic type painting. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, Jesus is real. Let's put it that way. He is the real thing. I was thanking God that I, that, that I went through those things to end up where I am today. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't love him as much. So listen, you sinners out there, who knows, murderers, homosexuals, um, liars, deceivers, gamblers, all, all, there's a whole host of sins. You can read them even in Revelation at the end of the chapters, like in 1920-21. God will forgive you all that. All you got to do is realize what Jesus did on the cross and be ready to receive him as your Savior. He has taken the wrath of your sins upon himself at the cross. And it was perfectly perfect. Jesus drank that cup for everybody. But you must receive him. You must believe in him. Here's what the Word of God says. But as many as received him, he gave you, you have the decision, the right to become the child of God. You have that right. His sins paid for. It has been, justice has been satisfied, but you have the choice. But as many as received him, are you ready to receive him? We're early in this message, but are you ready to receive him? And if you don't make that decision, then you already said no. Because it's made up. Already been made up. Jesus drank it for you. And he took every drop, every... He wouldn't even take the narcotic to kill the pain. Because he did it for you. Because my sins are wretched, and so are yours. Oh, you think you're a nice person. You probably are. But you're comparing yourself against your neighbor or against somebody that's been arrested for murder. You haven't compared yourself to Almighty God. In the Bible, the Lord is identified three times as being holy, holy, holy. It's not righteous, righteous, righteous. No, He's holy, holy, holy. When Jesus prayed to the Father, He said, Holy Father. When we sang songs today, we said, Holy Jesus. And we already know that the Holy Spirit is what? Holy. Boy, Jesus has done an amazing thing for us. You know what? If that were preached at a crusade, I think the whole entire audience should be down at the altar. That's my opinion. But no, there's too many people staying in the seat. You need to get down. Jesus did it for you. He finished it for you. He finished the penalty of sin for you so that you didn't have to take what he took. You don't have to be separated from God forever. 
You don't have to be beaten and your beard pulled out and crowned with thorns and thrown over a post to get whipped with a cat and nine tail. And you don't have to, you know, carry your cross up the hill and you don't have to be nailed to it and you don't have to be have that cross raised and thrown into the hole so that all of his joints went out of joint, all of his bones went out of joint. You don't have to do that. He did it for you and for me. Oh, my God, are you great. Number two on your list, cancellation of the reign of death was finished. I don't know about you, but I say it every week, maybe even every day. I hate death. I hate to see a squirrel dead. I hate to see a rabbit dead. I hate to see a bird dead. I just hate death. I hate to see people death, dead amazingly. I just lost my mother-in-law, Liz's mother, just two months ago on Saturday, I believe it was. Friday, most likely. I hate death. I love that woman. You love many people that are gone. You love them with all your heart. Well, Jesus finished the reign of death. We're talking spiritual death here. Unfortunately, because of our sin, we have to die physically because that's what God told Abraham and, I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, if you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you shall surely die physically, not spiritually. You have a choice. Every one of us in this room, short of the rapture, is going to be, is going to die physically. But you don't have to die permanently because Jesus said he's the resurrection and the life. Those who come to him, even as, even, you know, he, he those that come to him, you know, will not have to, They'll die eternally because he's the resurrection and the life. Here's Romans 6, 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no more dominion over him. Death, in other words, was destroyed at the cross. Phys physical death is going to happen because God spoke it in, in the Old Testament when Adam and Eve fell. They did not obey him, and therefore they physically died. And same with us. Death passed to all men when they died. That's why I tell everybody, you think you're a good person. Well, maybe you did obey the Ten Commandments and you think you're perfect. Maybe you did obey the other 603 of the commandments that make you holy. And that's great. And you're a holy person. You didn't sin. But you still have the sin of Adam and Eve that passed upon all men. So therefore, you're guilty. I'm guilty. You might be more holier than me, but you're not holier than God. And God cannot have unrighteousness in his kingdom. And if you put a drop of urine in this water, I will not drink it. And neither will God drink of sin and put it in your, his kingdom. That's why we want the kingdom of heaven to come to earth. So we're holy. And we can get rid of these people that go shooting people and killing people and strangling people. And there won't be any more murders on TV. Probably won't be any more TVs. 
cancellation of the reign of death. Death, the reign of death ended at the cross. Because now you can go to heaven. You don't have to wait in Abraham's bosom. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Jesus destroyed the enemy from having the power of death. He no longer has the power of death that can kill you. He has no longer has the power of death. Believe me, over my Christian career, my Christian Christianese, I have fought the spirit of death many, many times. And most of the time, when I hear I feel that death spirit come upon me and say, I'll kill you. I usually fall on my knees and throw my hands in the air and say, God, if you want me, take me, because this guy doesn't have any authority. I hate death. You know, I've been, me and Liz have been in the same house for like 18 years. I saw, I got a rabbit in my yard now. I haven't seen a rabbit in 18 years in my yard. I've seen, seen uh, ducks. Squirrels, blue jays, cardinals, raccoons, possums. I never saw a rabbit. You know what I'm doing? I'm praying. Don't you protect that rabbit, Lord. I don't want to see him dead. I hate death. Death has been conquered by Jesus. And I know that someday I'm going to die short of the rapture. But the point is, I'm going straight to heaven. To be absent from the Lord is to be, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I could back that up with 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it is, or, yeah, or 5 and 15. Listen, when you draw your last breath, you're going to be looking at the face of Jesus. And there'll be a couple of angels there for you, too, probably. Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself. So, we shouldn't fear death because when we do, there's Jesus. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, the law of sin and death tells me that i got to die. But Jesus made me free from that law of sin and death. Yeah, you say, well, the Bible says in John 10, 10, you know, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said that I come, I come and I, you know, I, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that, you know, you might have, be righteous, okay? Eternal life. Okay? Well, you're going to realize you, the devil has power of death, according to that verse, until it was finished. When it was finished, he had no longer any power over death. He can't take you anywhere. He cannot kill you. He's just a liar. No one took Jesus' spirit. He gave it up. He gave it up that you and I might live. Here's Romans 5.12. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed to all men. You thought what I said was, was kind of uh, not right? Well, I just quoted the scripture. Death has passed to all men. Sin entered into the world 
by sin of Adam and Eve, so death passed on to all men. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mentioned Adam's sin was imputed to mankind, all of mankind. If you weren't even born yet, it's been imputed to you. But man's sins, if you receive him, will be imputed to Jesus. And then he'll drink of all the dregs for you. And then his righteousness will be imputed back to you. Man's sin imputed to all men. Adam's sin imputed to all men. Jesus's, uh, well, Jesus, man's sins imputed to Christ. And Jesus' righteousness will be imputed to you. And that's why you get into the kingdom of heaven. Because you have Jesus' righteousness, not yours. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, even if you have to have, he said to the people, he said that your, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So he was saying, you have to be more righteous than them. And it was also a rebuke to them because they thought they were so righteous they were going to go to heaven. And they never sinned. All their sins were, they, they aren't a sinner, but they were wrong. And Jesus said, your righteousness needs to exceed that. And how do you exceed that righteousness? By the blood of Christ alone. That's it. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it gives us ammunition to preach to other people. This stuff has to be done. This has to be preached. None are righteous. No, not one, says Paul to the Romans. All sin and fall short of the glory of God, says Paul to the Romans. But God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while you were still a, yet a sinner, you were still sinning, Christ died for you. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Point number three. What was finished? The cancellation of sin's power was finished at the cross. Here's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Let me turn there. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. We even sing a song in this church. It's because he destroyed death by death. Jesus destroyed death by his death. That's what it's all about. The devil had power over death. It was removed at the cross. He made an open spectacle of him, triumphing over the devil through the cross. That's what Jesus did. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Blotting out the handwritings of ordinance that were against us, which were contrary to us, and he, Jesus, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Jesus triumphed over death at his death at the cross. 
What a great Savior we have. So listen, when the devil tells you he can kill you, you can say, no, you used to be able. Not now. The key word is he had power and was removed at the cross. So point number three was the cancellation of the reign of death. So, so far, here's what we got. What was finished at the cross? Satisfaction of the whole wrath of God. Number two, cancellation of the reign of death was completed at the cross. And number three, cancellation of sin's power was finished at the cross. Point number four, Jesus finished the Defeat of Satan. He finished Satan's defeat. He defeated Satan openly. And thereby, all demons were defeated. All demons, not some demons. All demons were defeated at the cross. Do you realize the devil actually thought that he could win the battle by putting Christ to death? You actually realize he this is the arrogance of him. He actually thought that if he killed Jesus, then then he, and he would he he would win the battle. You know what? All through history, you read it in the Bible, he tried to take out Israel, especially the tribe of Judah. He tried to take out the baby called the King of the Jews, born in Bethlehem. He tried to wipe the devil out. The devil has been trying to wipe out the Christ since the beginning of time. He actually thinks he's going to defeat God. And you, you know, there's people on this earth today that actually think that the devil is going to be their friend when they pass from this world. He's a liar. You aren't going to drink a Budweiser down there. You aren't going to have a prostitutes running all around. You're going to be roasting in the flames of fire. And you think you can, you're, you, you know, the devil has you convinced that he has not been defeated. I, it's too late to, but Anton LaVey and his daughter, the, you know, the, Anton LaVey's dead. He's the one of the writer of the Satanic Bible. His daughter picked up on it after he was dead. I believe she might be dead or even alive. I have pity on them. Actually, it's stupid. It's, it's, they don't have any common sense. What did you ever hear, or what does the Bible say that the devil ever created? As far as I know, nothing. Jesus created, God created, the heavens and the earth. And the scriptures tell us that he knows them all by name. Yet we can't number the name, the stars in the sky, and we can't number the seas, the sands on the seashore, but Jesus knows them all by name. I can't even remember somebody's name sometime when they introduce themselves to me. But God knows all the stars' name. And the devil actually thinks that he could win this battle. He thought that he could keep Jesus in the grave forever. He doesn't believe the Word of God. Can you see that? 
He does not believe the word of God. He believes his word. Arrogance, pride is there. He believes that he can turn you from God to him. And he has done it in many cases. That's a failure on somebody's part. They didn't receive Jesus with their heart. They received him with their head. And they had intellectual knowledge of God. Oh, I believe there's a God. Well, there's a whole lot more to it. Well, God, who is your God? What is your God? Someone said to me yesterday, I think, I think women might be my God. Listen, you, you, because you, you, what, what do you focus on the most? That's your God. Check your checkbook out. You see your God. I heard people say that. Check your devotionals out and see. The devil actually believes that he's going to defeat God. It isn't going to happen. I read the end of the book, and, and I know the author of the book. But the devil's a created being. He can't create nothing, and he can't put life into it. God does. Point number five, Jesus finished the work the Father gave him to do. Jesus finished the work that God gave him to do. That's what was finished at the cross. Jesus had a purpose. We went through, we just went through um, you know, Palm Sunday and that, and I showed you how the scriptures in Daniel chapter 9 point to the day that Jesus is going to drive, ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. 173,880 days, for, or 400 and, 430 years, I believe it is, you know, from when the edit was signed to rebuild Jerusalem. And you can count those days off, you end up in Jerusalem around, around 30 A.D. Listen. Jesus had a job to do. He even had to be in Jerusalem that particular day so that he could be acknowledged as being God where they would put palm tree branches down and say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He had a time schedule. You can notice that time schedule at the death of Lazarus. He knew he had to be with Lazarus four days after he was dead. So he could do one of the most powerful miracles to even shake the tree of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead with just a word, many scribes and Pharisees believed in him. Who can raise a dead man? Four days. We went through that. He had to be there for that particular thing. For that, to raise Lazarus from the dead, to be one of the most power-packed miracles Jesus ever did just days before he was crucified so that you could know that he is God. And then he backed that up by rising from the dead three days later. Whew. Wow, praise God. And you see this all through the Scriptures. Jesus finished the work of the Father. He, he cried out in Psalm 20, 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A messianic psalm that's all full of, of things about Jesus. Let's see. How come I didn't mark it? Anyway, I'm going to read, read it to you. 
I'm going to read some of it to you because the whole psalm is practically about uh, Jesus. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, that's what I said. That painful part of Jesus was when his father turned his head from him. Being with his father all through eternity, all of a sudden, he's no longer seeing the father. Even when he did his miracles on earth, he said, I'm only doing what the father is doing. He always saw his father. But now he knew that God forsaken him because all that sin all the wrath of God's righteous wrath, every dreg, every drop had to be licked clean from the cup of God's wrath against sin. And he was separated from his God, his, his father at that point. Why are you so far from helping me? His humanity is showing here. And from the words of my groaning, his humanity is being shown. And then he fulfills prophecy, is being fulfilled as we go on. Those who see me, they ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. And that's why they gave him the water. When they heard him crying out to God, the Father, they lifted the water, hoping he'd live longer and finish the statement. He trusted in the Lord. Let the, him, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Then he goes on, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouth like a raging, roaring lion. They pour out like water. All my bones are out of joint from that cross being dropped into the hole. My heart is like wax. It's melting within me. He's dying of a broken heart. Jesus died of a broken heart because they wouldn't believe, just a handful believe. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws, for the dogs have surrounded me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look at me and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for clothing... They cast, my clothing they cast lots. Listen, these were all fulfilled from the Old Testament while Jesus was on the cross. And even after he was on the cross. Unbelievable. Jesus Christ. You know what? Jesus is backing up all, everything that he's saying here in the Scriptures. Everything that I'm teaching, he's backing up with Scripture. you got Luke 24 and 24. 24, verse 25, you know, he's talking to the, the Jews, the believers. He says, oh, fools, slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken. These are prophets are spoken here. He's, selling, he's rebuking the, conquer, the, the people. You know, you're fools, you're slow of heart to believe what the Bible says. That's what we got going on here today in the world. People don't want to believe the Bible. He's saying to the, his believers, you're, you're slow of heart. You're, you, you don't believe what the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered, like we just read, these things and enter into his glory? Verse 44, 
all these words I have spoken unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. All these things had to be fulfilled. And you've heard me preach it many times. And inside this pulpit, I have a scroll of 365 prophecies fulfilled in one man alone, Jesus Christ. Jesus is rebuking his followers for not believing the prophets and the Psalms and the Scriptures. And you know what people today say? I don't believe that. That, that book is outdated. Outdated. It's a best-selling book in all of history. No book can compare to it. Homer's Iliad, 641 copies are written in history. We have over 20,000 manuscripts about the Bible. So if you, if, if, if you have a stack 641 that high for, for, uh, for Homer's Iliad, that's about the Trojan Wars, then you have scriptures piled that high on, on Jesus. But people want to believe everything else, and they don't want to come down to brass tacks and believe that this is the Word of God. It is unchangeable. It will last forever. Every jot, dot, every jittle will, whatever, they, whatever, every dot and every punctuation mark will be fulfilled in this Scripture by the end of all things. It will be. And there's no doubt about it. Well, what, what else happened? So far, we see the satisfaction of of the whole wrath of God was finished. We see the cancellation of the reign of death is finished. We see the cancellation of sin's power finished. We see the defeat of Satan, and he is finished. We see the work of the Father gave Jesus to do, he finished. And number six, breaking down the middle wall of separation. What does that mean? There's a separation here. The apostles after Jesus left were, were struggling with this. You had the Hellenistic Jews. You had the Juju. You had the Gentiles. You had the Romans. You had the Greeks. And there's a wall built up here. That's what was being broken down. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 2, verse 18, 14 through 18. For he is our peace, who made both one, Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down the middle wall of partition, which is a barrier, a fence, a wall. The Greek word is phragmos. He has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make him in himself of both one new man. So you got Jew, you got Gentile in the kingdom of God. Then he's going to go on. It, making in himself one new man, so making peace. So Jew and Gentile are going to come together. And that he may reconcile both unto God in one body, the church. By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, slain the, 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 the hatred between both parties, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them who were near. He wants 
to both, the ones that are far from God and the ones that are near to God. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. He's make the, uh, the church one. You know, some of you remember Cy Hanover that came from Calvary with me. And, over, you know, he, he was involved. He was a Jewish convert to Christianity. And we loved, we loved him. And he used to say to me, yeah, my wife passes away, and uh, I find God, and I find a whole new social social club, you know, like, I didn't say club, but he said, I found a whole new social life. That's the way he said it. In other words, he was like, the wall was broken down. The wall of partition, that he realized that Christ was the Messiah, that wall fell down, and we just hugged on him and loved him until the end. And he used to, I loved Cy because every time, he'd always want us to pray. Every time he prayed, this would be his opening statement. Lord, or no, Jesus, I know you know I love you. That's what he would start. Jesus, you know I love you. We've broken down that wall, partition against us. I was on the internet yesterday. Liz showed me a, 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 music, a thing that was a, a, like a worship session going on in Jerusalem. Okay, 144 harps. They're singing... Um, a song that you would recognize, was it Presence or something? Um, blessing, the Blessing. You would recognize the song, but they're singing in Hebrew. And they have 141 harps. And I'm like, man, I was, I was, tears in my eyes. They, you know what? How could a group like that come together? And Liz is showing me, look, there's black, there's white, there's Asian, there's, there looks like Korean. I mean, he looks like Korean, you know. He broke down that wall. We're all believers now. And yet, in the Christian church, you have divisions. The Catholics think they're the only ones going to heaven. The Presbyterians, them, and the Baptists, them. Everybody thinks we're one. Don't you get it? Just because you believe something I don't believe, you're just wrong or I'm wrong but we're still brothers and sisters. And I go on the internet and I see all these great preachers cutting down other great preachers. And I say to myself, they're, they're brother haters. And how can you say you love God when you hate your brother who you have seen and you haven't seen God? What's going on with this Christian church? That wall needs to be broke down. It isn't about Baptists and Protestants and Methodists and Lutherans and Catholics. It's about Jesus Christ. That's it. Him crucified, him dead, him buried, him risen. That's it. I don't care if you're purple. I don't care if you come from Mars. You need Jesus. Because if you came from Mars and you were a believer, you certainly wouldn't come to earth. One body, the church. We're all one. We believe in Jesus. Why do we fight with one another? And I've been guilty of it. One speaks of one way, heaven, by being one man, the church, from two groups of people, and it's a narrow way. Acts 4.12 hits it uh, best, and I'm going to stop here, and we'll get the other six next week. 
Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. That kicks out New Age. It kicks out Allah. It kicks out Buddha and Mohammed. Hare Krishna. There's only one name under heaven by which you must be saved. So it's very simple to get to heaven. You just have to know Jesus. We are without excuse. This Bible goes back centuries, and it tells you the way right from the beginning. Messiah is coming. Messiah will die. Messiah will be risen. So for those of you out there, you don't know Jesus, you need to get down on your knees, or let me rephrase that, get down on your, in your heart and call on the name of the Lord. And Paul tells us in Romans 10, 13, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Saved from what? The penalty of sin, which is death. And I just showed you my first point. He drank all the wrath of God's, all the, all the wrath, righteous wrath of sin. Jesus drank it for you. Ask him in. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that people that heard this message, Lord, will ask you into their heart, Lord God, and they will know you and their sins will be forgiven. And they will turn away from them, those sins, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they will break down that wall that separated them from you. And that wall that will only crumble at the name of Jesus Christ. Let that wall tremble, crumble now. And let those people enter into your kingdom, Lord, breaking down that wall against Jesus that they had. to realize that he is their Savior to you be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all. Come back next week and tune in next week.